Good morning. We are discussing parenting. Last couple of weeks we were together, we discussed the parent's condition, the spiritual condition, the emotional condition. Today we're going to talk about the relational condition of parents, the relation that they have between uh, their spouse, between their kids, is extremely important. You know, a lot of parents think that if I do the right things, my kids will turn out good. So they then have to consider what are the right things to do. What what are the things I should and should not be doing to ensure that that my children uh, grow up to be successful young men and women? And I had stated multiple times now that it's not so much what you do as who you are. And then what you do will reflect who you are. Because if you try to fake it, then uh, your children very likely will not make it. So let's make sure we are focusing on being the right kind of people that we should be, God has called us to be, to our family members. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. We had taken a look at this, uh, into this chapter when we began this series on the armor of God. Now we're going to take a look at the beginning. Verse 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A father has more responsibility to foster a healthy relationship with the child than the child does to the father. Parents, I think, a lot of times make a mistake of commanding children to essentially love them. That, you know, you will respect me, you will obey me, you will do what's right. I get that. I mean, even the Bible says a child ought to obey their parents. But the, the Bible then goes on to state that parents, it seems, are guilty of often turning the hearts of the children away from the parents. And so here you are yelling, screaming, uh, commanding and demanding that children obey you, but you're not providing any incentive Now, I'm not saying to bribe our children to obedience. I'm saying the incentive should be your love for them. The incentive for a child to obey and honor the parent should be the parent has connected with the child on a relational level. And so that child now wants to obey, wants to honor. The parent is not churning the child away, not causing the child to, to, uh, to wrath, provoking them to wrath, and then getting upset when the child does not obey. Obviously, the child is still capable of disobeying even when there is love in the home. We're not denying that. But the best chance of success a child has is when the parents incentivize uh, the, the child with love. And so dads, moms, are we... Raising our children in a way where they want to obey, where they want to honor, where are we raising the children in our lives, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, direct you know, children, are we raising them to where they don't want to obey because we're pushing them to wrath? Now, let's take a look at here at Relational. I think that there's a few things that would cause a child to be confused on the relationship with their parents, and one of them is the parent is confused. Look, if the parent is confused on what their role is in the family, we shouldn't be shocked when the child is confused on their role. And a lot of parents, their confusion begins with a misunderstanding of who the child is to them and who they are to the child. Let me break it down for you. 
I have, I've seen over and over again, and I've heard over and over again, parents who use their child as uh, a friend to, to fill an emotional void. You know how many times children are left uh, with the, re- the heavy responsibility of making the parent feel good? That's a shame. It is not the child's role to make the parent feel good. It is not the child's job to make sure that the parent is emotionally stable or emotionally supported, emotionally fulfilled. Whose role is that? Well, first and foremost, it's God's role. Every adult, every child who has a, any level of understanding of Scripture should recognize that God is the one that does that best. But a parent who does not know God personally, and that was the spiritual condition, we started with that, a parent who lacks the spiritual condition is probably going to lack an emotional condition. They're going to be struggling emotionally, which means relationally it's going to play out where the parent is needing to feed off of the child's emotional support. That is where you end up with controlling mothers, uh, moms who will not let the child leave the home, moms who will not let the child grow up, moms who will not let the child have other friends, moms who will get very upset immediately upon learning that their child likes some other kid's mom. Oh, she's cool. I like her. The mom now feels jealous of another mom because that child has become their emotional support. They're not getting supported from their spouse. They're not getting supported from their friends. They don't have a connection with God, so there's no support from God. And so the only one they have left to turn to is the naive, innocent, easily swayed child. Now, the problem, there's a lot of problems with this. I'm sure you already your mind is running through all of the issues with an adult dr- drawing from the emotional support of a child. By the way, it doesn't just happen in families, right? It happens on teams. The coach drawing from the emotional support of the, te- the, the players happens in classes. Over and again, we find teachers, male and female both, having inappropriate relationships, whether physical or emotional, with students because that teacher needs confidence, and they're, they're drawing it from the children of any age. You know, you might, your mind might be going to teenagers. That does happen. But I've known adults who are drawing emotional support, dare I say it, from babies. I'm not saying in an inappropriate sexual way. I'm saying, you know, the hug and the, the, the embrace and the snuggling of a baby just feeds the soul of the adult. You know, God, I think, has, has done that naturally, that the, that the soul is fed by a baby, and I think the natural response is then to take care of the baby because, you know, it feeds your own soul. I get that. The problem is when that's your motivation, when that's your purpose, you're going to find that you're going you're gonna to be like a drug addict. You're going to keep wanting it. And so a lot of adults are now using their children to feel good about themselves. Yes, in different ways than moms, in different ways than women. Women will uh, do it, uh, gain that emotional support through, again, not letting the child leave the home, not letting the child have friends, uh, conversations with the child. Uh, dads will do it through the, the letting the child play on, on sports teams. That's my boy out there, right? Letting the child do more things and, and somehow the, child relive, the dad reliving his childhood through the son or the daughter. So it's done in different ways, but the, the end is still the same. The child eventually recognizes the burden that's been placed on their shoulders. Now this child is not playing football because they enjoy it. They're playing football to help their dad feel good about himself. 
the daughter is not at home because she wants to be. She's at home because the mom will freak out if she leaves. The mom will go crazy if the daughter hangs out at a friend's house. The mom will be anxious and call every 10 minutes, text every five minutes. And the daughter just, it's not worth it anymore. So the daughter will just not leave home. But then eventually the daughter will rebel and say, forget this. I'm not answering the phone when my mom calls. I'm not my mom's therapist, right? I'm not my mom's emotional support animal. And so the child will eventually turn completely from the parent. The son will quit the team altogether. Something he could have enjoyed, something he, he would have enjoyed, the dad has sucked that enjoyment out of it because it was never about the son. It was about the dad. So you see how dangerous the, the, the abusive relationship can be to the child. In abusive, we often think of, you know, beating the child uh, in some way inappropriate. No, abuse can also be treating the child like a friend. Treating the child like, like the, they are of equal age and, and the parent is now drawing from the child emotionally what they'd only should be drawing from God or their spouse or a close friend emotionally, not children. Now, let's move on to little b. Here's what ends up happening. If the parent treats the child like a friend, then eventually the parent is going to treat the child like a therapist. All right, so what's the goal of a therapist? The goal of the therapist is to, it depends on what kind of therapy you like. It could be to give advice. It could be to give emotional support. We just talked about that. But a lot of therapists, they're just there to listen. The therapist's job is essentially to let you unload all your problems on them, and they just politely listen and then give a few points, or uh, maybe depending on their philosophy of therapy, they may give some direction or advice, or they may not. And a lot of parents, I have heard so many stories of parents when they're upset with their spouse, who is the first person they go to and unload all of their problems. It's the child. They'll get in the car, they're upset, and they'll just talk to their children about all the things their father just did or has been doing. And, and they will just uh, treat their children like they're adult therapists, and the child isn't supposed to do anything, just supposed to listen. But that is harming the child. The dad, he's upset with his wife, so he takes his son or daughter out to do some work in the yard, and all they do is talk about the child's mom for the next two hours. That damages the child's relationship with not only the dad but the mom, obviously. It taints their view of who they are in the family, the role they are playing. It confuses the child. The child then has to wonder, who exactly am I in this family that the parents are unloading their problems on me? You know, I knew a child one time. This is years ago. This child had a lot of anxiety, a lot. And I'm not saying that a child who's anxious is, is going to be anxious because of the reason I'm giving you. I'm saying this is a reason it could be. So this child had extreme anxiety, always worried, worried about the parents. Where are the parents? How are the parents feeling? What's going on in the parents' lives? I mean, this child was, went to our school years and years ago. Young child, elementary level, lower elementary. Just could not focus during the day because the child was always concerned about the parents. So come to find out over time. I was concerned for this child, wondering why is this child always worried about the mom and dad? It was unusual that a child would be thinking about the mom and dad like all day, every day of the week on such an intense, anxious level. Come to find out the parents had issues. You know, that that wasn't a shocker. Um, The parents argued a lot, screamed at each other even, and did so in the presence of the child. Now, that's bad enough. It got worse. it, It was brought to my attention that the parents were essentially doing exactly what I said here, treating the child like a therapist. The the child was telling me these things. 
that the parents were unloading all their problems in front of the child to each other and then also in secret behind the spouse's back to the child again. The child was essentially supposed to be some kind of liaison between the mom and the dad. The child's job was basically to, to calm the parents down and to the child in their head was thinking, if I'm not around, my parents will, you know, like what, kill each other, scratch each other's eyes out, you know. I'm the one that brings the peace to the home, basically. This child's like seven years old. The parents had put this child in the role of peacemaker in the home, which is, again, a therapist's job, right? They're the ones to bring the peace, to calm everyone down, to let's be logical here. And this seven-year-old was seeing themselves in that role. Now, I highly doubt the parents would have ever admitted that, but the parents essentially placed that thought in the child by the way they treated the child. So this child... When he was not home as a young man, when he was not home, was constantly wondering, how are my parents treating each other today? When he was not around, are they hurting each other? Are they yelling at each other? On top of that, the anxiety of what will happen when I do go home. The damage done to this child, I don't know that we'll ever know this side of heaven. He had a lot of issues. I don't know. He doesn't go to our school anymore. And so I don't know where he's at today, but it was pretty bad. He was not born that way. He was not born an anxious child. His parents made him that way by treating him like a therapist, by yelling at each other in front of him, and he was the one that had to calm them down, by yelling about the spouse to the child when the spouse was not around, by unloading their problems. This child lost his childhood. I would say he was a serious young man, but that's not necessarily true. He was an anxious young man at seven years old. And I would imagine that is a story that is becoming more and more common as adults are becoming less and less mature. As adults are becoming less and less controlled. As adults are unable to work through their own problems, if they have no friends, if they are not close to God, all that's left is the child sitting in the room at their house, their child. And parents without self-control and parents without maturity will turn to any human being that will listen, including their seven-year-old son. And Ephesians chapter 6 says, do not provoke your children to wrath. There are many ways to do that, many ways to turn your children against you. I understand the first two verses. A child ought to honor and obey their parents. But the parents need to set their children up for success where the child wants to honor, wants to obey with the incentive of love in the home, not the anxiety of what will happen if I don't. So just because your child is willing to listen doesn't make them your therapist. They don't know how to process your burdens, and you will traumatize them. They will internalize your problems and traumatize them possibly for life if they don't get help. Your child cannot handle your adult issues. I knew another child one time who was always stressed about money and on a level that would just seemed really shocking for a first grader, that this child at first grade level would be stressed about money all the time. Oh, I can't go on a field trip, you say. My parents can't afford it. And I would say, did you ask your parents? No, I just know they cannot afford it. Um, if we had some kind of lunch program, oh, I can't buy that. My parents can't afford it. Did you ask them? No, I just can't afford it. I, I got to tell you, my children wouldn't know what we can and cannot afford. You know why? Because they're not a banker. My child is not my CPA. My child is my child. 
If we can't afford it, I'll just say, no, you don't need that. No, you can't have it. I'm not going to say, hey, son, sorry, your family's broke. You know, you, you broke the bank when you were born, and because of you, we have no money. I'm not going to be telling my child that kind of stuff, whether it's true or not. I'm going to let my child be my child. If my child can't have lunch, then I'll pack them lunch. They're not going to stress about why they couldn't buy lunch. I mean, if there's a re- I can't imagine why I couldn't afford a $15 field trip. I mean, we'll make that happen. You know, $15, we'll do something to get my child on a $15 field trip, right? But parents treat children like they're little in- investors or, you know, again, uh, accountants. And these children are now bearing on their shoulders the financial burdens of the family. What are you doing? What can your eight-year-old do about your finances? Nothing except for stress about it. And that doesn't help you or them. Stop telling your children things that they don't need to hear and they cannot help. You are taking your problems, and here's what happens. When we speak our problems to someone, did you know you are actually, for a moment at least, transferring the strain and the stress, right? That's why, oh, that was, that was so good. Thank you just for listening. The person walking away listening is like their eyes are wide open like, whoa, you know. You just transferred it to them, all right? Now, here's the thing. A, a strong person can take your problems, and they can handle those problems for a few reasons. One, they've matured. They've been through life. It doesn't affect them the same way it does you. They've come further along in their maturity than you. So, you know, they can take it, and it's like a feather on their shoulder. They barely feel it, and they walk away. Also, what is burdensome to you isn't as burdensome to them because it's not personal to them, right? So your burdens of you and your spouse or you and a coworker, you and your boss, you can unload that on someone, and it may cause them some weight if they care deeply for you. If they're extremely immature, it would cause them to be stressed, anxious, bear a burden, but not as much as you because it's not their personal problem. Here's the problem with children. Not only are they immature, your personal problems are their personal problems because they're your child. And so you're putting your weight on them, and they're not strong enough to handle it. You feel better after unloading on your child. Your child feels worse. You feel like a weight has been lifted. Your child feels like a weight has been placed. Do not treat your child like a therapist. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. So we're talking about the relational condition of a parent. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Hear ye, children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. You need to be your child's therapist. Listen to their problems, but don't just listen. Offer love, support, but most of all, direction. And that's what we have in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. See, a lot of parents, they want to tell their kids all their problems A good parent, a strong parent, a successful parent is going to listen to the problems of the child and help the child work through those problems. All right, so going back to the child being the therapist, if you're so busy telling your child all your problems, you know what they're not going to do? Tell you their own. You know why not? Because they're going to feel so bad about your problems. They're going to feel so burdened by your problems. They don't want to put more on you 
with their own problems. So that child will do what with their own problems? Well, they'll do one of two things. Internalize their own problems and, and, and make an attempt to work through them, probably muck it all up because, you know, they're only like eight, right? They're not going to really do well. It's going to be a, a chaos. Or they will find another therapist. Okay. Eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, even 12-year-olds aren't really brave and courageous enough to find a, a strong adult to be their therapist. So inevitably, who will they look for to be their therapist? Other children. Other teens. It would just be a natural response because this child has to talk to someone. Can't be the parents because the parents have their own problems. How would the child know that? Because the parents told the child that. So the child is not going to talk to the parents. The child is going to talk to another child who can't help them. Why is there so much mental health problems going on? Two reasons. Adults unloading on children. Children unloading on children. Adults unloading on teens. Teens unloading on teens. I have at this school seen more often than not teens with mental health issues because their friends have mental health issues. What's happening? Their friend with mental health issues, if it's a constant flow of mental health problems, it will never stop. No amount of talking about it will fix it. So all they're doing every day is unloading on their friends with their continual mental health problems, and their friends can't handle it. And because their friends love the other one, the friends start taking the mental health personally. Now they have mental health issues. They've transferred. One child with mental health has transferred that to another child. Now, where it started with the first one could be parents, could just be trauma in their life, whatever. These children and these teens, you know what the big problem is? Not that they have mental health issues. Not that they have emotional problems they need to unload on. It's they don't know who to or how to unload them in the right way. Who to? Adults that are strong, loving, mature, godly. Either they don't know these adults or these adults haven't made themselves available to the teen or the child. And they don't know how to unload in a way that's helpful. So they just start speaking to anyone who will listen, which includes other teens and other children. And the problem gets bigger and bigger and worse and worse. Where are the adults that will sit down and listen? Your first responsibility is to your own children. Will you listen to your children, the children in your life, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, uh, whatever children God has placed in your life, in a classroom, on a sports team, will you listen to them? Because my, one of my top priorities to the kids God has placed in my life, my own family or otherwise, is to be available to them, to listen, because I know their friends can only help them so much. But listening's not enough. Offer love, offer support. If you do that, they will keep coming back to you. You will be the one they will unload on, and they will not transfer their problems to someone else who can't help them. Also, are you concerned at all if they treat a friend as a therapist, if advice is given? What exactly is the advice another 8-year-old is going to give an 8-year-old? You know it's really scary? What advice will a 14-year-old give to a 14-year-old? That's really scary. It's bad enough that, you're, that our children in our lives are unloading their problems on other children because we're not available to them. What's worse is when that other child responds with some advice. That's really bad. And then we're shocked when these kids are crazy. Well, they're getting bad advice from other crazy kids. 
So give advice. Let it come from you. But if you want the child to listen to your advice, they need to see your love and support first. Then you can offer direction. Then you can be there for the child in the way they need you. All right, letter D. Your child doesn't have your experience. Don't let them talk you out of your good judgment. Okay, relational, right? Parents, we're going to get to this, the parents' trauma. In fact, I'm hoping to get, yeah, we'll get to some of that today. I I think you're going to really enjoy this next section, the parents' trauma. Parents have forgotten how to parent that they ever knew. We have a generation of parents that are just stabbing at the dark, swinging at, swinging at shadows, hoping they'll hit something and something will connect. Hoping that if they just throw a bunch of things out there, something will land and fall in a successful way. Let me tell you, though, that is a horrible way to parent because you only got like 18 years with the kid. And if you spend half or more of that trying to figure out how to parent, by the time you've actually figured it out, it's too late. You say, well, Pastor Russ, how do we figure it out before they're nine if we don't have the chance to learn? You look, why do you go to school to learn from the experience and knowledge of others so you don't have to relearn it on your own? Right? There, there are those who are really good at just teaching themselves. Great. Most people aren't. Most people learn best when someone else who has already learned, already gained that experience and that knowledge, can then transfer it to them. So they don't, that the, 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 the student doesn't have to learn the hard way, right? Learn from their own mistakes. They can learn from the mistakes of someone else. So a lot of parents aren't doing that. A lot of parents are learning from their own mistakes, but their mistakes are affecting their child. And by the time they've figured it out, the child's 8, 9, 10, 12, 13. And those mistakes come with a very high cost when attached to the human soul of a child. So parents... Learn from others so your child does not have to suffer. One thing that a, I'm seeing over and over again is parents are believing the lie. What lie? You don't understand. Children, when they're young, mom, dad, you just don't understand what I'm going through at school. Well, I went to school, yeah, but mom, dad, it was different when you went to school. Mom, Dad, you don't understand. All my, all my friends have phones. I don't. You don't understand what it's like to not have a phone. Well, I didn't have a phone yet, but Mom, Dad, no one had phones. I mean, there was dinosaurs that walked the earth when you were young, right? Phones weren't even in existence. So, Mom, Dad, you don't understand. Mom, Mom, Dad, you don't understand uh, that I can't go to my friend's house. You know, I'm going to lose my friends. Well, I didn't go to my friend's house yet, but Mom, you know, Dad, it was different back then, you know? Everyone sleeps over today. Everyone goes to their friend's house today. Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, right? And when they're older... It's going to be, Mom, Dad, why can't I have a license? You don't understand. I need a license. I need a car. Well, I didn't have a car. Yeah, but Mom, Dad, you know, you work from home. Or, you know, your child isn't stupid. And your child, at, at whatever level age they are, and it's going to get better, they're going to get better and better at it, is going to reason and justify and convince you to do what the child wants. Give me the phone. Give me the car. Give me the job. Give me the freedom. Give me the freedom but not the responsibility of freedom. Uh, give me a car, but I'm not paying the insurance. Give me a phone, but you pay the bill. Uh, let me have a job, but I get to keep my own money. I'm not paying for anything in this house, right? So, so they want all the freedom and none of the responsibility. Are you really doing them any favors? Are you training them for life when they get a job at $14 an hour and they say, wow, I am rich, $14 an hour? Yeah, because you have no bills, your parents are paying for your insurance. Your parents are paying for your food. Your parents are literally paying for your gas. Like, 
You can do whatever you want with your money. And then you're shocked when, you're, when your child has no desire to do anything more than just work 30 hours a week for $14 an hour and party the rest of their life. Why are we shocked about that? Because $14, $14 an hour for 30 hours a week with no bills, they, are, they probably have more money to spend than you do. I've already told my kids this. My daughter said, Dad, when I turn 18, can I stay home? I said, well, you're going to college. She says, well, what if I want to stay for a year? I said, well, you're paying me rent then. I'm not, you're, not, you're not mooching off me for a, year, for a year for free. I mean, at that point, if you have a job, honey, I've told my daughter, and then my daughter's like 12, all right? So I've told her. She knows, and I've told her this many times. I said, honey, if you get a job, you're going to start paying rent. You're going to start paying for food. You're going to start paying for gas. I'm not doing you a favor by letting you think that money is free and there's no, there's no responsibility on your part. If you're going to use the family car, you're going to pay for the insurance, part of it. You're going to pay for the gas. If you're going to have your own car and it's your car, you're, you're paying for all the insurance and all the gas. Then let's see if you, how, you know, how much of a job you want or if you want to go to college, right, whatever that might look like. How many parents are talked out of their good judgment by a child? Too many. Way too many. A child, it blows my mind, is able to reason better than the parents. And the parents listen to the reasoning of a child who has no next to no life experience and this eight-year-old has convinced their child has convinced their parents to buy them a phone unlimited access to the world unlimited access to pornography and social media and uh violence that that would cause you to shudder and cringe and your child has unlimited access to that at eight and they they convinced you what reasoning did they use to convince you of that at eight years old well, I trust my child. That's what, that's what your child told you. That's, how, that's the, the main mom, dad. Don't you trust me? Don't you trust me with the phone? Don't you trust me with the car? Don't you trust me with the job? Don't you trust me with whatever, whatever, whatever? You know, it's, it, at some point, the child needs to recognize ch- trust is not given to them because they're your child. Trust needs to be earned because of their choices. But above and beyond that, I'll just stop on the phone thing for a while. The, the trust of a child with the phone isn't just the trust of the child. Do you trust the child's friend, friends plural, who have access to your child through the phone? Do you trust the world, the men perverted, women perverted in the world who now have access to your child? Do you trust them? Because when you give a child a phone, it's more than a TV. It's more than, you know, a a show that's been recorded and no one can interact with your child. It's different. People can interact with your child on games, on child games. There are conversations going on. There's a little part on the game where people can talk to each other, and adults are talking to eight-year-olds on their games. Well, my child doesn't have a phone. they got an Xbox. What do you think is going on in those headphones on the PlayStation and Xbox? There are adults who are swearing at and to your child, who are talking to that child about women or that child themselves. Do you trust everyone else? That's the question you got to ask yourself when it comes to technology. And by the way, that's the question you ask yourself when it comes to your child going to people's houses. I'm not saying there aren't people you you don't trust and wouldn't allow, but your child saying, Mom, Dad, I want to go to this birthday party. Well, I don't know the family. Well, Mom, Dad, don't you trust me? Right away, your answer would be, it's not about you, honey. (laughs) It's not about you, son. I don't know the parents. They haven't earned my trust. Well, they're good people. I, I, I can't say one way or the other. But if I don't know them, they haven't earned my trust. No, you can't just go hang out with that family for the day. And most definitely, you cannot spend the night at their house. I don't know these people. Your child is not stupid. 
and they will use all manner. Well, do you know that family? Yes. Do you trust them? Yes. Well, their child's going. <laughs> right, so they're going to use all manners of, of uh, conversation and persuasion to get you to let go of your good judgment. Your child is a child. You are not. Be the adult for your child. Make the hard choices for your child. There are a lot of things my children don't do. There's a lot of things my children get to do and a lot of things they don't do. And I got to be honest with you, I know all of that I'm telling you, and I believe all I'm telling you, and it's still hard as a parent to see some of the things my child is missing out on. My child's not playing sports on a public team, you know, city team. And part of me regrets that. Part of me wishes my child could. But I was literally just talking to a mom uh, three days ago. And this mom told me my child played sports on a city team for years and loved it. And she said, I just had to finally pull him out. She said, he's, he goes to our school. She said, he's not going to play city sports ever again. He'll just play for a mid-state or not at all. And I said, why? What's going on? She said, it was ridiculous, the things these children were talking about and the coach was allowing. And I'll give you an example. The coach was saying, hey, let's come up with a, like a special name for our team. That we can, it's baseball that we can call ourselves. And literally, the, uh, the, the team came up with the name I forget the exact, it was so horrendous. It was something like child abusers or something like that. It was ridiculous. And these kids were basically saying, let's call ourselves the child abusers. And the coach didn't stop them. F word, this, F word, that. The coach is swearing, the kids are swearing. She said the kids, I mean, on top of that, she said the kids were just bullying my son, bullying my kid, harassing him. She says, there's so much damage being done to my child. I just, I'm, I'm done. He's not going to play sports ever again unless it's for the Christian school. See, I know that. Part of me wants to believe that, well, there's a team out there that that wouldn't happen. And I'm sure there are teams out there that that doesn't happen. But then I got to remind myself, my good judgment, am I willing to take the chance? Am I willing to try out the waters, hoping my kid would be on that team rather than the one that this mom just told me about? And no, I'm not. Personally, for me as a dad, I'm not. Now, I'm not saying you're evil for letting your child play on a city team. I'm not saying you're a bad parent because, you know, I would, I would hope you've done your research. Maybe you've checked out the coach, checked out the team, and whatever. But I'm just telling you there are other parents who have done that and eventually regret it. And there's some that have done it and don't regret it. So, I, you know, I get it. Again, there are good teams out there. I just, for me, am not willing to put my child's trauma, emotional stability on the line with the hope that they'll get a good team. I have told my wife this. I said, if my kids ever do play a game, team, I'll coach it. I'll, I'll, I mean, cities are always looking for volunteer coaches, so I'll coach it. That's the only way that I would let my child play on a city team. This is just an example of things your children will try to do to, to get you to rethink your good judgment. Phones, of course, are going to be the biggest battle you will have this side of heaven with your child underage. Phones. It will be phones. So, parents, I will tell you this. You say, well, I can... I can trust my eight, my 17-year-old. If you got more than one child, I can see that happening. I get it. Your 14 will say, what about me? You got to wait till you're 17. You know what's going to happen? They'll be 15. You'll give them a phone. Then the younger child, what about me, who's 12? You got to wait till you're 15. They turn 13. They're going to get a phone. It's just going to get lower and lower and lower. Once you open up that gate, it's really hard to close it again. I've just told all my children, you're not getting a phone until you go to college. I intend to stick to that. If they're going to a friend's house, they're going to work, they will take my phone. I'll get a 
I'll get a burner phone, you know. It'll be my phone, a burner phone, just a flip phone. I'll say, take this with you to work, bring, you know, bring it back. It'll be my phone, and they'll use it when they're at work, or they'll use it when they're going on a trip or whatever. But they, I'm not going to give them a phone that will be theirs. That is my personal belief. Strongly, again, for the sake of it's not about trusting my children. It's about trusting everyone else's child and adult in the world who has access to my child through that phone, and I do not trust them. Um, some of you may already know this, but I'm going to say this too. For me, uh, my wife and I have already decided, we decided a long time ago, our children will not spend the night at people's houses. It's not about trusting or not trusting the parents. That is partly so. It's also something happens to children at midnight. They're not the same. The things they do and talk about just isn't what they talk about and do in the light. Okay? I'm not saying an eight-year-old is going to, you know, uh, you know, stab someone, although that, obviously that stuff happens. I'm not saying that would happen at a, at a sleepover with my daughters. <clears throat> but I've been working with teenagers for the last 20 years. I've been working with children for the last 20 years. And parents, the things these kids say and do when you're not around, pretty bad. At night, in a room that's dark, and half of these kids have phones, I shudder to think what 12-year-old girls are talking about with their phones at night with the lights off, the door locked, and everyone else in the house asleep. I shudder to think what they're looking at, listening to, watching, doing, who's calling them, who they're calling. And so if my children are going to someone's house, it's going to be during the day. It is not going to be at night. They're not going to sleep over. Uh, we had a situation recently where my child, my, my daughter, Kinsey, was invited to a sleepover. And we said, no, they'll go to the party. We'll pick them up at 10 o'clock. I said, we, we asked, how long is the parent going to be up doing activities with the kid? It was a birthday. And the mom said, well, we're going to do activities, you know, crafts and things about 10 o'clock. Then we're going to, you know, things will taper down. The girls will watch a movie, go to their room, whatever. And we said, great, we'll be there at 10. When you're done being around the kids, because we trusted the mom, when you're done being around the kids, that's when we're picking our kid up. We are not going to let our daughter hang out with her friends all night long in a locked room, lights out, and, and half of them did have phones. I know that. My daughter took it pretty well. You know why? Because she already knew. We've already told her for years, you're not sleeping over. So it was nothing new to her. But the moment my daughter tries to convince me, I need to remember Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So if you are letting your child convince you, you are letting a fool convince you because they are born fools. It is our job to help the foolishness be taken from that child. Now, there is a few ways to do that. Verse 15 tells us, the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. That's one way, right? Discipline correction is definitely one way. Uh, there are other ways in Scripture, there are other passages in Scripture that talk about how to help train up a child. Correction is not the only one, okay? So don't think I'm a good parent because I always correct my child. Now, that's just one piece of the puzzle. In Proverbs 15 gives us one piece. Proverbs, excuse me, 22, 15 gives us one piece, correction. There are other ways, training, uh, instruction. The Bible talks about in the morning, in the evening, as you walk throughout the day, teach your child, train your child, instruct your child. That's also a way to drive out foolishness from their heart. But the, the main thing I want to point out right now is your child's a fool. I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm saying that in a biblical, realistic way. Do not let your foolish child convince, the, convince you that they are smarter than you. We started with your child will say, you don't understand. Yes, that is true. There are things we will not understand because our child is growing up in a day and age that you did not and are not. But here's the real truth. There's a whole lot more your child doesn't understand about humanity. 
Whatever your child does understand about phones that you don't, there's a whole lot more you understand about people your child doesn't, right? Whatever you don't understand about going to school in today's culture of 2022, there's a whole lot more about life your child does not understand that you do understand. It goes both ways. This argument of mom, dad, you don't understand is 10 times more return to the child. No, no, you don't understand. Yes, I do. No, you don't. (laughs) There's no possible way you at nine years old could understand everything you need to know about life. That's why you're still living at home with mommy and daddy. That's why you don't have a full-time job, because you don't understand. It's not just their age. Did you know that back in the day, nine, 10-year-olds were driving trucks, living on farms, running farms? Back in the day, 13, 14-year-olds were getting married, all right? So it's not that their age alone, I'm not saying 13, 14-year-olds should get married. I'm just saying they were getting married back in the day. It's not that their age alone, it's their maturity. You know who's keeping them immature? What's keeping our 13-year-olds from being successful compared to the 13-year-olds of 200 years ago? Because 200 years ago, 13-year-olds were going to universities. They had graduated whatever they needed to know. They, were, they knew Latin, Greek, English by 13, 14, and were heading off to college, getting a farm, traveling long distances to help support the family at 14. Where have we failed our children? They're the same age. If we took them from 200 years ago to now, what's the difference? The difference is... Their maturity is being held back by someone or something because history teaches us that a 13 or 14-year-old is more than capable of having the maturity they need to be responsible young men and women at 13 and 14. History tells us that. So why don't we see it? Someone is churning off the flow of maturity that these children should be getting. Is it you? Is it me? I'm sure we're partly to blame. Society is most definitely to blame. Because what does society tell your children? You're just a child. Enjoy it. Enjoy your youth while you can. Well, what point does youth end? 18. Not anymore. Now we got 23 and 24-year-olds. They still think they're youth, and they're still wanting to be children. we got 32-year-olds who can't grow up. Oh, they get married, but now the wife feels like she has two children. Her child and her husband are both her children because the guy won't grow up. They were growing up at 13 and 14. Now they can't even grow up by 34. Who is causing that? Us. You know how? We're causing that by letting the child be a child. I'm not saying treat your three-year-old like an adult. I'm not saying treat your nine-year-old like an adult. I'm saying prepare your children for adulthood. When you treat them like a therapist, you're not preparing them you are traumatizing them. When you treat them like a friend, you are not preparing them, you are traumatizing them. When you treat them like they are an adult by giving them the freedoms of an adult but not the responsibility of an adult, the freedoms, the phone, the money, the car, the job, the freedoms of an adult but not the responsibility of it, you're not preparing them. You are hindering them. So parents... Real-world parenting today, you don't have to grow up in 2022 to raise a child in 2022. You have to recognize people have always been people, and we always have had the same kinds of problems. They just evidence themselves in different ways because of what we have available today. Immorality has always been immorality. Selfishness has always been selfishness. Pride has always been pride. When you recognize that a child is foolish and their friends are foolish, then you must realize, I don't want my child's friends to be my child's therapist. I don't want fools 
gaining advice from fools. Someone's got to help these fools. It needs to be you. It can't be you if you're unloading your problems onto your child. It can only be you when you let your child unload their problems on you. But if you're too busy to listen, they won't unload their problems on you. And once they've unloaded their problems on you, now do your job and give them direction. Your child is a fool. Don't let them use their reason to convince you to walk away from your good judgment. To change your mind about what was so clear before the conversation you had with this 10-year-old. Now it's like, was I right? Was I wrong? Oh, man, am I been a bad parent all this time? Look, come on. What you thought before you talked to the 10-year-old was probably the right decision, okay? The 10-year-old doesn't know more than you. They're just confusing you. And you know what they're doing? Think about it. They're using your emotions because they're really good at that. Children are really good at playing with your emotions to cloud your good judgment. Step outside your emotions and ask yourself what is best for this child to prepare them for adulthood, for success. Stick to that. The bigger problem isn't so much your children, it's your friends, your adult friends. I'll end with this story. My parents did not let us date, among many other things. We were, I think, the only kids in our church and school that I knew of. And we had a a Christian school was like 300 kids, at least, 3 to 500. Church, you know, 2 to 300. The only ones that I knew of that were not allowed to date. Every other kid in my class and my brother's class, sister's class, were all dating and allowed to and encouraged to by the parents, encouraged the kids to date. And it was hard enough with my parents telling us we could not date. And, of course, you know, hey, we want to date and that kind of thing. It was really bad when the other adults started telling my parents, you guys are way too strict on your kids. Other adults telling my parents this. I know this now because my parents have told me this story after I got older. And other parents were saying, you guys are are not good parents. You are cruel. You are overly harsh. They were telling my parents, you're going to lose your kids. They're going to rebel. And you know what eventually happened? These parents were telling us as children that my parents were wrong. So these parents were not just attacking my parents. They were now attacking my parents to us, the kids. And they were telling us as kids that you should be allowed to date. It's okay. Your parents know what they're talking about. That was at a Christian school. What do you think my parents did? What would you have done in that situation? You're paying money, sending your kids to a Christian school. The other parents are attacking you for your parenting and then uh, subverting your parenting by going to your kids and telling your kids how bad you are as parents to your kids. What would you do? You'd leave. The problem is my parents are running out of Christian schools to take their kids to. (laughs) There's only so many Christian schools, and this kept happening everywhere they went. So my parents finally homeschooled us. I was eighth grade going into ninth grade. I'll never forget the year had just ended. I had just had my eighth grade graduation. I was so excited. This was awesome. My life is really going to begin going in high school. Uh, my parents pulled me into their room at night, and they talked to us one at a time. I get, that was probably wise of them. <laughs> pulled me in by myself, and they said, Russ, you're going to homeschool next year. I was in shock. Homeschool? You kidding me? Like, stay at home all day homeschool? I cried. I was an eighth grade, just graduated eighth grade boy. I was like, what, 13? Bawling, crying, please, mom, please 
do not make me stay home and homeschool. Please let me. I want to play sports in the school at sports. I want to go to school. Please cry in half an hour. Snot coming out of my nose. I'm not joking. It was bad. I think most parents would have caved. I think most parents would say, all right, you know what? All right, let's try it and see if it gets any better. Not my parents. My parents said, Russ, you are homeschooling. You cry all you want. It's not going to change a thing. You're going to homeschool. And I homeschooled. Didn't like it, but I did it. Graduated homeschool. Went to college at 18. It took a while. It was five years. Five years later, though, 18, I called my parents and said, Mom, Dad, the best decision you could have made for me was to homeschool me. Thank you. It's not because homeschool is the best for everyone. I'm not saying that, that if you really want your child to be successful homeschool, I'm saying I looked back at 18 and saw what was going on at the Christian school, that Christian school. I saw what happened to my friends over the next four years into drugs. I knew one kid, he was, um, he, he was like top athlete. When I saw him again at 18, he was uh, very heavy overweight. You know why? Because he was doing drugs and alcohol. All of his athletic ability gone. All of his possibility of scholarships gone. I looked at my friends and thought I could, that could have been me. My parents, shocker, did know what was best for me. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy that a parent would know what's better uh, for the child than a 13-year-old, right? Like, who would have thought? I didn't know that until I was 18, but I did thank them eventually and said the best thing you could have done for me personally at that point in my life was homeschool me. Thank you. Most parents would never hear that because most parents would have given in to a crying 13-year-old boy and said, all right, let's try it again. So parents, be the parent to your child that your child needs not the one they want. Be the parent, not a friend. And let your child be a child, not your therapist. You be their therapist. Stop telling them all your problems and start listening to theirs. Give direction. Do not let them convince you that they know better. They don't. Do not let them play with your emotions. You know what's best. You help them. Let's pray.